Hi, I'm John Mayfield, the real estate tech guy with another Global Real Estate School podcast. Well, that concludes Module 15 on financing, a long and exhaustive chapter with lots of information. And yes, you will see a lot of information from this chapter on your exam. So let's go through uh, with a review as uh, quickly and as detailed as we possibly can on Chapter 15. And I'll point out some highlights that I want you to make sure that that you uh, look over and hopefully understand some situations here. Uh, hopefully you have your notes printed out from your book. So if you have that available and your pen handy, you can start taking some notes. As you can see, on this page, there are a number of resources and sources a borrower may look to for obtaining funds when they purchase a piece of real estate. You have commercial banks, savings and loans. There are mortgage brokers and mortgage bankers, credit unions. We have insurance companies who get involved with larger commercial type properties. You have FHA financing and VA financing. Uh, and even the homeowner can finance the property, the seller. So uh, lots of sources and resources for financing. Now, we talk about right here, a commercial bank. Sometimes there have been test questions uh, talking about what is the primary purpose of a commercial bank. And, and it's small business type loans. That's kind of confusing because many of us think of our small of our commercial bank as a as a bank where we can go to get a real estate loan, but they do make uh, a wide variety of loans. But for the exam, if you see small business type loans as the primary source for commercial banks, that would probably be your best choice. Now, as we scroll on down, you can see savings and loans. Uh, mutual savings banks. A mortgage broker is an individual who works between a group of lenders. So the mortgage broker is actually working between a group of lenders. A mortgage banker, on the other hand, is between the consumer and the borrower. So, um, you know, mortgage bankers are going to be a little bit more different than mortgage broker. A mortgage broker is not really confined to any type of a specific institution. They're really working with a whole group of lenders. We have credit unions who can also make some loans. Farmers Home Administration, sometimes called Rural Development now, FMHA or Rural Development. Again, insurance companies will make larger loans. And the owner of real estate, as we indicated earlier, could also be a source for financing. And any time, any time you have seller financing, whether it is on a first mortgage or a second mortgage, we call that a purchase money mortgage. That's when the seller is involved with financing. I think the uh, qualifications to get a loan is pretty uh, standard. They're going to look at the capability, your character, where do you work, uh, you know, how much money do you make, uh, how much are you putting down. All of those things will be very important to the 
lender in making you a loan. They will also want to look at your debt to equity ratios. Normally, a lender might use a 26 or 28 percent of your gross monthly income. So to explain that, if you made $1,000 a month and they were using a 28% gross um, monthly income debt to equity ratio, the lender would not want to see your house payment exceeding $280. So they would just basically take your gross monthly income and multiply it times 0.28 and that in this case is $280. They would not want your housing payment to exceed $280. Now the next uh, gross monthly ratio they use is either this 36 or 41 and what they're doing there is they are comparing your proposed house payment of $280 plus all of your other expenses and that number should not exceed 41%. Actually, the exceeding sign should go that way. <laughs> so, your car payment, your credit cards, any other type of monthly expenses, along with your house payment, should not exceed, in this example, $410. So you've got to pass both of those debt to equity ratios in order to qualify for the loan. Now we discussed the lender's security for making the loan. How will they get paid back? And do you have any security? And so that is where the note and the mortgage or the deed of trust come into play. One of the things we talked about is this right here. Remember the note shows evidence of the debt. It's what is referred to as the financing instrument. The mortgage or the trust deed, depending on your state, is actually what secures the property. So make sure you understand that concept for the exam. We then talk about mortgages having two parties. A deed of trust has three parties. The deed of trust actually has uh, the three parties so you can see that you have a trustee who's looking out for the beneficiary. The beneficiary is also referred to as the lender. Now the borrower is the trustor. They create the trust, name a trustee who is working on behalf of the beneficiary. And this whole process works with the non-judicial foreclosure that we will look at in just a moment. But it actually allows you to bypass court so if the if the beneficiary notifies the trustee and says hey you are not making your payments you're doing some other things that are um, not right we want to take the property back you have the right to actually do that through this non-judicial foreclosure proceeding using a trust deed or a deed of trust and remember the trustor is the borrower in that situation now in a judicial foreclosure you have a, a different situation where you have to go to court and so we have a mortgagor who is the borrower and the mortgagee who is lending the money 
and there are two parties involved versus the three parties. And again, that would require you to go to court to um, in order to try to get the property back. And that can take a little bit of time. So we talk about that in the next section here regarding lien theory states and title theory states. And I have seen some questions on the exam uh, in this little area. It gets a little complicated, but I would study that learn that, make sure you understand um, all of this with foreclosing, what the power of sale clause is, and how this all operates and works with a mortgage versus a deed of trust. Now again, I keep emphasizing, but I want you to understand this. The note shows evidence of the debt. It's the financing instrument it indicates when the payments are due. It has other information involved with the note and other uh, items. So you want to make sure you understand everything regarding the note. And um, notice that the note can be discounted. In other words, you could sell it for uh, less money to someone else if you wanted to. It's also negotiable, meaning it can be sold to someone else. So you could sell it to someone else and sell it for less than face value as a discount to someone else. And mortgage note interest is considered simple interest. You might want to understand that. Another definition, lots of definitions in this chapter you're going to have to learn. Hypothecate, which means you pledge property as collateral without giving up possession of it. Similar to buying a home, you hypothecate this uh, situation. Or uh, if you get a loan for a car, you actually pledge the car as collateral, but you don't have to give up possession of the car. You can continue to use it. Now we talk about some other items that are included with the note, uh, items that are included with the mortgage and trust deed. You can see all of these. And again, I know this is lots of information you have to know and remember, but all of these definitions are very important and you may see three or four or five of these types of questions on your exam. So make sure that you go through your flashcards and go through these and know those very well. It's very important for you to do. We talked about discount points and I will just highlight again and remind you that one point is equal to one percent of the loan amount. Yes, not the sales price. So we talked about what discount points are, their prepaid interest, uh, increases the yield for the lender. It's making up for lost interest, you can see there. We talked about the one-eighth rule, which basically says for every one-eighth percent interest lost on a loan, if you charge one point, you can make up for it. And we also discussed the fact that origination fees cover paperwork, Sometimes people use points in very in a very broad general sense, but discount points are really used as prepaid interest or helping the lender increase the yield on the loan. Uh, origination fees are really points that are covering paperwork, and so there are different types of points, but one point is equal to what? There it is again, 1% of the loan amount.
so we did some computations and you have that information here again is judicial and non-judicial foreclosure that we talked about deed in lieu of foreclosure is interesting because that is also called the friendly foreclosure and that's where the defaulting borrower sometimes can deed it back to the lender now it's not always an easy thing to do because it sometimes um, puts the lender in a situation where they can't come back and possibly get a deficiency judgment against you if they could not sell the the property for what was owed against it so a lot of lenders do not like to do deeds in lieu of foreclosure now we drop down and begin to talk about selling property or, or pardon me selling loans on the secondary market and how these are packaged up and we talk about the um, you know in order for that loan to be sold on the secondary market there are certain qualifications that the borrower has to um, meet and as well as the property so if the lender does not have all of this documented then they would never be able to sell this loan on the secondary market and the reason the secondary market wants certain types of loans with certain borrower qualifications and certain property qualifications is that it provides a degree of security for the investor and it really helps them be able to to sell these pools of market mortgages on the secondary market so how does a lender make money off doing all of these types of loans it's through an origination fee basically what's happening is uh, the lender is going out and loaning money and they get big blocks or pools of these mortgage loans and they go sell them on the secondary market so when they sell these loans on the secondary market it provides more money for them to go out and do this all over again so where do they make their money in the process well they make it two ways in the origination fee for doing the paperwork and sometimes they service the loan for these new owners and so that can provide a source of income for the lender as well so we get into talking about who the players are in the secondary market such as Fannie Mae and and Jenny Mae and Freddie Mac and yes you do need to know all of that information for the exam be familiar with that be familiar with truth and lending and regulation Z who it applies to who it does not apply to there's lots of information here and again this is probably um, a big part of the exam and there are usually several questions from this chapter finally we get down to RESPA the Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act there's some information there I would be familiar with uh, and then we drop into the Equal Credit Opportunity Act which means that all applicants shall be treated on an impartial basis regardless of their race color religion national origin sex marital status age and their dependence on public assistance such as food stamps or Social Security in fact one of the greatest pleasures I ever had in selling a home was to a couple who were on disability they thought they could not qualify for a home because they were on disability but 
as I mentioned to them, because of the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, if they qualified with their debt-to-equity ratios with their credit and had the right down payment, and we did a VA loan, they could qualify for a loan. They did, and they were just thrilled to buy their very first home at the age of 50. So the Equal Credit Opportunity Act is something you might want to consider and think about, learn, and, and be familiar with that. And then we talked about all of the various types of loans that are available to consumers. We have a fixed rate loan, we have an adjustable rate loan, and there's lots of mechanics with an adjustable rate mortgage. You have a graduated payment plan, a balloon loan, lots of information here, and you need to know all of these different types of loans and be familiar with them because they could be test questions on the exam. So we drop all the way down now to FHA and VA financing. I think you can read over most of that in your notes and um, make sure you understand what a certificate of eligibility is and a certificate of reasonable value. Those have also sometimes been seen on the exam, so I would make sure I knew those. Um, we talked about the federal government's influence in mortgage financing discount rates and reserve requirements. Um, I have seen a question regarding that. It is a chapter with lots of information and lots of things that you have to be familiar with. So put this on top priority for reviewing, studying, and making sure that you know the definitions and the information in this chapter. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Global Real Estate School. I'm John Mayfield, the real estate tech guy. Go out and make it a great day.